Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living Word Community Church. How are you tonight? Let's stand together. It's great to have you here on this beautiful spring night. Welcome to spring as well. What a beautiful night. I hope you're expecting great things from our God, our Savior. Let's bow our heads and hearts and just let him know how much we appreciate him. Father, we are thankful, Lord, because you are so good beyond anything we can imagine or think, Lord. You overwhelm us with your grace, your mercy, your love, your tender care, Lord. We just thank you for considering us, Lord. And Jesus, we thank you for dying for us and giving yourself so completely. And Lord, we just ask that you would show us more and more how great your love is, Lord, for us. And how amazing you are, Lord. As we study your word, as we sing these songs from your word, Lord, songs of praise to you and you alone, God, we just ask for a, a new, fresh revelation of just how amazing you are. We just thank you that we can search and search and find how great you are in your word, Lord, and experience your love. And to know that this will go on in our lives forever until we see you and beyond, Lord. We just look forward to that time, but until that day, Lord God, we just ask that you help us to be able to go forth in your power and authority to share your love in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe on this night, Jesus' name. Amen.
thank you Lord God it's just sweet to come into your presence and praise your glorious name get our eyes off of ourselves Lord God on the crazy world around us but just to fix our eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith and Lord God and worship you and Lord God that is a good thing Lord God that is a great thing for you are a great God an awesome God and we give you all the praise and glory this night Lord God teach us your ways lead us Lord God and be glorified here in our lives tonight. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wait, I didn't say you can go, kids. I didn't say you, I didn't say you kid. Look there. I didn't say you guys could go. We we're going to keep you here tonight. <laughs> They're obedient. Not to me. How y'all doing tonight? So we're going to talk tonight about when fear conquers faith. This is going to be part two, covered Numbers 13. We're going to go to Numbers 14. So if you open up to Numbers 14 and uh, talked a little bit about, you know, started off last week. I'm going to give you a quick review here. And essentially the concept here, there is true beneficial fear, right? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's a good fear. Reverence, awe, wonder to have, you know, for the Lord. Obviously, you know, something dangerous, uh, you know, you step in the road, a car's coming at you, you see somebody who's dangerous. It's good, okay, to have a healthy fear to avoid, okay, to avoid conflict, uh, you know, damage, uh, even death. But the essentially fear that we're looking at here, again, is fear that is essentially not, it's not based upon what is real. So fear, you know, again, false evidence appearing real. And we said that, you know, you look at, it's somewhere between 90, 97% of the things that we fear never happen to us. And boy, that just robs us of joy. It robs us of life. It robs us of just being able to live. But yet there are... In this crazy world that we live in, I mean, you can find you can find ten thousand things to truly be afraid, you know, of, and you can end up dwelling on those things. And I just said, you know, went through this last week. Uh, you know, the ten top fears of two thousand and twenty-two: corrupt government officials, and uh, you know, people uh, I love becoming seriously ill, Russia using nuclear weapons, people I love dying, and you know, so on. There are a lot of things that, again, you can, you can focus on. I say, no, these things aren't, they're not the worst things to, you know, to, to know about, but again, but to obsess on them, focus on them, it, it just, again, it just metastasizes in us, dominates our life, and takes away, it really takes away life, and it takes away the joy of the Lord. The physical effects of fear, right, just damages our bodies. 
the psychological effects of fear, right? It just, it just literally causes our brains to shut down, become, you know, in, ineffective. And again, the effects on our lives and our relationship with the Lord over and over again, Jesus, right? Saying to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Uh, then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was great calm. So, Again, the, the danger of fear, and what we're looking at in chapters 13 and 14 in the book of Numbers is a, really, it, it is to the most part an artificially manufactured fear. God wanted to bring them into the promised land. He would have given them the promised land. So just cover you real quick what we did last week. A gift to be taken. God says to them, the promised land is yours. I've given it to Abraham. I've given it to Isaac and Jacob. It is your promise. Now go in and take it. But you're going to have to go in and take it because there are these tribes there, right? The Canaanites and the Amorites and all these different tribes. You're going to have to go in and you're going to have to defeat them. God calls Moses to select 12, okay? Essentially 12 men, I believe leaders of each of one of the 12 tribes, 10 end up being cowards and you have two who are heroes, okay? Get those names of those two heroes etched in your mind. Who are they? Caleb and Joshua, learn a lot from them, because we're going to be looking a lot at them tonight and then next week. And then the faith's vision, they go in and they, you know, they, they get a great vision of the land, and, and they see, again, the, the land that is flowing with right, milk and honey. It's, it's filled with fruit to the point that when they carried uh, the um, cluster of grapes, that's what it would have looked like. Again, I think the grapes look more like cantaloupes or uh, grapefruits than actually the little grapes that we eat. They also, though, as they looked in, they saw, you know, fear's obstacles. The people are strong, right? The people are really big, and the cities are fortified. Right, that, right there in verse, verse 28 where you see that. Caleb gives a great demonstration. Again, I you know, called it faith's um, confidence, right? He said, we can take it. Right? We, we, we can do it. With, with the Lord, with his strength, we can take the land. But the, the, the other ten, again, fear's imagination took over and they're saying, hey, there's no way we're like grasshoppers. And there ain't no way they were like grasshoppers. And it's amazing how fear can make uh, problems so much bigger, can make challenges so much bigger. And could make you and God, at least in your eyes, so much smaller. So we come now to chapter 14. And uh, again, when fear conquers faith, we're going to look at some key things here. The, the eighth is fear is contagion. And fear is contagious. You know, emotions, I don't know if you've, you've seen, emotions are contagious. Right, you can you can see fear, uh, anxiety, worry, anger, rage. You get you get in a group of people who are you know experiences. It, it, it's literally it, it's like a virus. It's contagious. You catch it. It also, on the positive side, faith, love, hope, peace, joy, passion. They are contagious. So obviously, where do you want to be? You know, you want to be surrounded by the people with, you know, with those positive, you know, those positive, you know, emotions. So in, in Numbers 14, verses 1 through 4, it says, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, 
And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, I just, I just want you to notice here, I, I put in red, cried, wept, complained. This is drama. This is, the, this is fear-driven drama. And I'll say this, drama feeds drama. Right? Fear, it, it metastasizes, grows in a person. It grows in their soul. And then it flows out, and it flows out through their mouth. It flows out through their physiology. You know, most of our communication is nonverbal, and it's about 92% of our, our communication is nonverbal. And then what happens is that as that fear is flowing out, it affects other people around us. Okay, and that's, that's, what's, happening, that's what's happening here with, with, with Israel. It's just, it's just spreading. I want to give you, give you something. If you've ever seen, and there's studies that have been done, when... People in mobs go crazy. And you, you could see this, you could see it in the Black Lives Matter riots, but you can also see it in the Capitol riot. So there were, there were people rioting in, in, in the Capitol riot, okay? There were obviously people rioting in the Black Lives Matter. Not, not all the people were rioting, but many of them were. And when they, when they study mob violence, what happens is people who normally would not hurt other people. They, wouldn't, they would not attack other people. They, they wouldn't think of setting a fire and setting a building on fire or, or throwing a brick through the window. But when they're in a mob, there's suddenly this contagion that happens, this rage, this anger. And people who would not normally do things like that suddenly find themselves doing it. And you look at, you look at any videos. You know, I was watching a video today of mob violence of these these were grammar school kids do you see this in San Francisco in the mall it was nuts and they're just attacking each other and beating each other and you know when when you see things like a kid gets killed right and there's the parents and you know oh, you know he he was such a good boy and you know what that that likely is true he was really a nice kid but he got caught up in you know in this in this rage in the mob and they do they do crazy things, you know, and that, that, is, that is, again, that is it's kind of the psychology, sociology on mob violence. Well, what you see here, this is, again, this is a contagion of fear. And I think some of these people who maybe normally would not have been acting out in fear in this environment, now suddenly fear is just spreading. It's spreading through the entire nation. All 12 tribes are being infected by this fear. So it, it, it goes on here, and they say, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only, right, it, we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Now, I just want to show you a couple of things here. One is, I want to take you back. Let's go back to chapter 13. And in chapter 13, verse 31 through 33, I want you to notice again, watch how it starts. It just starts with 10. And watch how, again, it, 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 just, it just multiplies. It's, it's, you know, the, the way COVID, right, moved through the world. 
This is, this is, again, this is this virus called fear just moving through Israel. So verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw giants, the descendants of Enoch came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight. So here is just 10 men Right? They're terrified. And now it's just, again, spreading. And it's, it's spreading through the, I mean, it's, it's spreading through the entire nation. So, I just want you to see here, to the point, you know what? We want to just dethrone Moses and Aaron. And we want to go back to Egypt. I just want you to stop. Do you remember what they were experiencing in Egypt? They're the good old days. <laughs> I just want to—I want to show you. I'm in—I'm in my devotions in the morning. I'm in just starting in the book of Exodus, and I'm in the first three chapters. I just want to—I just pulled this out, and this goes uh, and takes us back to Exodus chapter one, verse eleven through thirteen. Here's their experience. So this is what they long to go back to. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves, and they appointed brutal slave drivers over them hoping to wear them down with crushing, crushing labor and force them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. And then Pharaoh, he said to the midwives, when they give birth to a male boy, right, a male child, then you were to kill him. And that didn't work out. The midwives refused to do that. And when that didn't work out, what did they say to do with the, uh, with the male children? Throw them into the Nile and drown them. The good old days. Remember? Remember the good old days. Sometimes people, remember what it was like before you were a Christian. You know, you could drink all you want. You could party all you want. You could do all the things that you, you know, just the good old days. Remember what they were like? Well, there was a taskmaster over you. His name is Satan. And you were in bondage and slavery to sin and to its condemnation and its penalty. And you were just closed in to the world. Remember, remember the good old days. I've, I've heard that. I've heard that. You know, people reminiscing about the good old days of what it was like to be in the world. And that's what they're doing here. And this, this, let me tell you, this infuriates God. Okay. Number nine, faith's persuasion. So here, you're going to see that in verse five, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Moses and, and, and Aaron, they, they know that these people are setting themselves up for the wrath of God. And I believe they fall down. And it's interesting, it says they fell down before the assembly. They just fall on their faces now, and, and this, is, this is them just begging the mercy of God. And you're going to see that as, as we you know, progress through the chapter. And then in verse 6 it says, But Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jebunah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes... 
right? That's, that's, uh, that, that's a, a sign of repentance, though they were not needing to repent of themselves. It's a sign of repentance for the entire nation of Israel here. And they spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Just, have you ever pleaded with someone knowing that, you know, if you just continue to go on the path that you're traveling on, you're going to be dead. And you, 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 you may be in hell. I don't know if you've ever, you've ever, I was on the phone with a guy today doing that very thing. And he's, he's gone through so, I mean, he's just made so many bad decisions. And at one point he died. He died on the table in the hospital and they brought him back. And his heart, his heart stopped for a, a, a number of minutes. But if you continue to go on the path that you're on, you're going to be dead. And you're probably going to be in hell. And I, I can tell you that there, there have been times in the church where, I, I mean, you plead with people. You see it. You just, if they continue to go on the path they're on, there's death and destruction. And you plead with them to, you know, to repent. You plead with them to get right with God. And that's, that's really what's happening here. So they, they're trying, Joshua, Caleb, are trying to persuade Israel. But it failed. Doesn't always succeed. There was a family here years ago. And um, I did the father's funeral, the mother's funeral. My mom and dad, there, were, there was nothing. They just grew old and died. But I had, uh, I was in the limo, and the two boys, I was sitting with the driver, the two boys were sitting behind me, and I looked at them and I said, if you continue to travel on the road you're on, I said, I'm going to be doing your funeral soon. One I did really very quickly. He died a short time later. The other one died a few years later. But I could see that they were, they were just heading with their lifestyle. They were just heading for death. And um, sometimes it doesn't work. And we, we plead. You know, we, the, the Holy Spirit is literally pleading through us for the person to repent. And again, sometimes it don't work. Sometimes it does. Ten. God's frustration. Verse 11 and 12. Then... The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me in all the signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with a pestilence and disherit them. And I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. So I'm going to wipe them out. All, all 12 tribes. But... um. I'll make you into a great nation. Now, you notice here what God is saying. With all the signs that I did. So there were the, the, the ten plagues, okay, of Egypt. 
There's the, the opening of the Red Sea that they travel through. The bitter waters of Marah being turned sweet and drinkable. Water coming out of a rock. Right? Manna coming down from heaven. Quail flying in from the Mediterranean Sea. A cloud by day and a, a flame by night. That's a lot of miracles. You would think with all those miracles, they would have believed. Right? A lot of people believe that, well, you know what? If I see a miracle, I'm going to believe in Jesus. If I can experience a miracle, then I'll believe. And you know what? The scripture teaches something that's kind of contrary to that. It's not true in the Old Testament. And you know what? It's, it wasn't true in the New Testament. Remember all the people following Jesus in John chapter 6? Right? He, he, he multiplied the fish and the loaves. They were, following, they were following him for the miracle. And ultimately, they all deserted him, with the exception of the, the disciples. In Luke, in Luke, in chapter 16, verse 30 and 31, you have the, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And Lazarus is, you know, in paradise, and the rich man is in hell. And the rich man here says to Abraham, and he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Right? If somebody is raised from the dead, this miracle, you know, then my family will believe. But Abraham said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rise from the dead. Do you understand what that what that's saying? It doesn't miracles are not going to make people believe. It's the word of God. Right? Faith come by hearing and hearing by right. If you don't believe the word of God, I don't God could do multiple miracles in your life, you're not going to come to a place of faith. And so the the, the Israelites here, they've got all these miracles and they've basically they're not believing. They didn't, believe in, they didn't believe in the word of God. There's a, a, a key thing. Who is the word of God? Right? He is the word. He is, he is the living word. He is the written word. He is in this. This living, this living Bible that we have. And John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is God. He, he is Elohim who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. Right? He, he is the God of the burning bush. He is Yahweh. He's Adonai. Right? El Shaddai. El Elyon. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? Jesus is God. What is your faith built upon? So, I say this, I say this to people. I don't need a miracle to believe. I believe in the Son of God. And I believe in what He believed. <laughs> I believe in, in, in His Word. You know, just look at, and I've shared this with you before, you want to simplify your faith? Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by. Now watch this. It, it, um, if you notice in the, in the black letters, it, the way it reads in 
the New King James Version, is I now live in the flesh. I live by in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The, the proper, if you, if you go to an interlinear and you put an interlinear Galatians 2.20 and you look at it closely, uh, essentially it says, I live essentially by thee, there's the definite article, by the faith of the Son of God. I live by the faith of the Son of God. I, I live by what Jesus believed. So for the last 2,000 years, there have been popes, there have been scholars and preachers and teachers and all these different people who basically say things and say that, you know, this is what we believe and it contradicts the very beliefs of Jesus. What did Jesus believe? Jesus believed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a triune Godhead. Jesus believed that salvation is by grace through faith that he did it on the cross. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him. Jesus believes in a literal heaven and a literal hell. You have people who say, and you get this in some of the seminaries, well, we don't believe in hell. But Jesus did. He talked about it more than heaven. Right? We believe in the second coming. And there are some people, some people now, and this, is, this has become somewhat of a popular doctrine in the Catholic Church, that there's no such thing as the second coming. But Jesus constantly referred to his second coming. So I, I just, it doesn't matter what the church says. It, it doesn't matter what the preacher says. It doesn't matter what the Pope says. It's what Jesus said and what Jesus believed. That is the simplicity of my faith. I have no need you know, uh, uh, miracles, we've experienced miracles. We've experienced some miracles here in, this last, in these last months. But those miracles didn't strengthen my faith anymore. My faith is, is again, my faith is in the Son of God. My faith is in the Word of God. That is, that is where, you know, my, and, and that is where my faith is forged, and that is where my faith becomes stronger in my relationship with Jesus and as I read and study and meditate on the Word of God. I say this to you, I have never doubted God. I've doubted me. I've doubted you. <laughs> but I have never really, I, I've never had, you know, any people like, oh, I, 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 doubt, I doubt God. I, I haven't. But my faith, my faith is built upon him. And this is, again, I'm, look, I'm a simple person. I'm always seeking to, you know, just make things simple because this, this whole world is overcomplicated. And I live by the faith of the Son of God. And if um, somebody says something, an authority says something in the church, and it, it doesn't jive, right, with the faith of the Son of God, I reject it. That simple. The, the Israelites, again, all the miracles, they rejected God. Because they didn't have faith in his word. And that word was being manifested to them through the prophet Moses. All right, number 11. Faith's intercession. So God here is saying, I'm going to wipe them out. Now, you, you, want to, you want to really, you know, learn how to pray. Study the scriptures and study the prayers in scripture. And pray the prayers in scripture. And you can see a beautiful, beautiful picture here of really how to intercede. 
So in, in verse 13, and Moses said to the Lord, now watch how he, he's reasoning with God here. He says, then the Egyptians will hear of it. For by your might, you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell it to their inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them. And you go before them in the pillar of cloud by day and in the pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people, watch watch this reasoning here in verse 15. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And as if you kill them, the people are going to be saying, you didn't have the power to be able to bring them into the promised land. And he's, he's reasoning with God here. Then watch in verse 17. And I want you to notice, he says here, and now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great. Now I want you to think of this. When we think of the power of the Lord, right? we, think, we think of him, you know, creating the heavens and the earth. We think of him dividing and separating the, the, the waters at the Red Sea. Right? We think of him you know, raising Lazarus from the dead. The power of God. Watch here, the power of God. Just as you have spoken saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving inequity and transgression. Do you notice the power of God? You know where the greatest evidence of the power of God is? Where? Yeah, right here, here. This is the, this is the greatest evidence of the power of God on what Jesus did on the cross. And it's his power of grace. It's his power of mercy. It's his power of forgiveness. That's what, that's what Moses is, go, is going. Your power, your, your, the, the power to forgive sinners the power to redeem sinners, to pardon sinners. The great, the great, that's the great and awesome power. And look, it, it's, it's, it's abundant. It's forgiving. Then he says, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the inequity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the inequity of this people. I pray according to the greatness, the greatness of your mercy just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. That's intense. You pray for your loved ones who are lost that way? That's, you know, we, they, they, the, the, geez, years ago, we used to talk about, plead, right, faith, you remember, plead the blood, the blood. That, that blood that he shed on the cross, this, his, his sacrificial death, his sacrificial atonement, his substitutionary atonement, Plead the blood, Lord, have mercy on my loved ones. Have mercy, pardon, pardon their sin. Lord God, save them, you know, according, according to your mercy, according to your grace, because it's great, because it's, it, it, it's abundant. Number 12, God's mercy and discipline. So in verse 20 through 25, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. How great is that? According to Moses' word. 
I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to pardon. You know, it, it says in Ezekiel, God is looking for a person to stand in the gap. He's, lo- he's looking for a man or a woman who will dare to stand in the gap, right, between, between sinners and his holiness. And plead, plead for their salvation. I have pardoned according to your word. Now watch. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers. Nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So he he pardons their sin. He He doesn't kill them all. But now you're not going into the promised land. You're not going to enter. The only Caleb and Joshua are going to enter into the promised land. So you're going to go out into the desert and watch, you know, just watch what follows in, in verse 26. In fact, let, let's go to, go, just look at verse 32 down to verse 34. He says, but as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. You're going to die in the desert. You're going to die in the sand. And your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days. For each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. So the adults... By the way, the children were the ones who would enter into the promised land 40 years later. But their parents would all die in the desert. So there's still his justice, and yet there's his mercy. The 13th point, God's judgment. And there is a judgment. I said I use, I use the term discipline in the previous you know, verses, but this is God's judgment. Now watch this. Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land. Those ten, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. And that's just pure, that's, that's his pure wrath and judgment. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. Now, the, the, the last part of chapter 14 is they, they just a presumption that ends in defeat. Now they're, they're operating outside of the power of God. They're acting compulsively, acting obsessively. And look at verse 39. Then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, now, why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. 
Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. And then the Amalekites and Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. And they were defeated. I want to show you, I want to show you something, and it's kind of a prelude into what I'm going to teach next week. But I just want to just focus, again, the, the, the heroes who really stand out in the story are, are Caleb, right, and Joshua. And so there's a, a picture of them ripping, they're ripping, it's kind of a funny picture, right? It's like they were showing their chest hair, but they ripping, they're ripping their, you know, their clothes in, in repentance before the people. So they're, they're concerned about the discipline and the judgment that is going to come upon them. And again, they, these two, they, they stand out, they, they are heroes, who stand out like shining stars, right, on, on an absolutely, you know, dark, you know, black night. And the two things that I, I want to, again, just mention to you here, and I'm going to kind of set this up for next week. It says this in verse 24 and verse 30 of, of Numbers uh, chapter 14. It says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where we went and his descendants shall inherit it. Some of you men who were on the, the retreat, the men's retreat, when I was sharing, I shared about, you know, Caleb. This is, this is said of Caleb four times by four different people. But he, it, it says he, he had a different spirit. You know what I'm saying? He was different. He was different. And he was different in a very positive way. You know, some people just want to be different for the sake of being different. He, he, was, he was different in, you know, in, in a very positive, godlike, holy, righteous way. And he, and he really, you know, he, he stood out. You know, let me just say this. It's good to be different like that. The condition of Christianity today, I believe you can just see it as you talk to many Christians. We're in the last phase of the church, which is the church of Laodicea, which is lukewarm. It is complacent. It is self-satisfied. And right, they, they say we have need of nothing. And yet Jesus says, you don't know, but you are, you are poor. You're naked. You're blind. Right now, the, the standard of Christianity I think is, is so poor and so low, right, that God is calling us to be different. Don't get, you know, don't get caught up. It's just, it, it, it is just so mediocre. It is so average. And I'm telling you this, I've been a Christian for 40 years. I see in the last 40 years, there has been a very clear, right, Faith? You can see the clear degeneration in, in Christianity as a whole. Especially here, you know, in, in America. So the, the, the concept, don't, don't fit in. Be different. I like being different. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to fit in 
to the, you know, to the, to the, to the average, you know, Christian. I mean, the, wait, the average Christian prays one minute a day. The average pastor prays three minutes a day. I don't want to be one of those pastors. I don't want to be one of those Christians. The average Christian, right, doesn't share their faith. I don't want to be one of those Christians who don't share their faith. So it just, it, it, they were different. And we, we need to be different. And then notice in verse 31, it says, except for Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell. And I want you to notice the word except. Caleb and Joshua, right, where do we get the word except from? Ex ex exceptions. Exceptional. Right, they, they, were, they were exceptional. Be exceptional. Amongst mediocrity. And, and there's mediocrity in this church. Right, there's lukewarmness in this church. <laughs> These people just, you know, they're, 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 they're infrequent flyers on Sunday morning who come and go. This is the, you know, this is the condition. And again, I, I like to think most of you who come out here on Sunday night, you're a little bit more serious than, than most of the people. But there are tenders. You know, I say to, there, many people are more fans of Jesus than followers of Jesus. But step out and be, be exceptional. Be exceptional in your, in your study of God's word. Be exceptional in your prayer life. Be, be exceptional in obeying the things that God calls you to obey and do the things that God requires you to do. You know, be exceptional in your witness. Be exceptional. Be different. Be different. And be exceptional. Because your Savior was different. And your Savior is exceptional. He was radical. Be radical. So I'm, going to, I'm going to talk about this next week. It'll be part three. We're going to focus a little bit on Caleb and Joshua. Amen? I pray that you take to heart what was said tonight. Take to heart. Meditate on it. Look, Come back and look at these verses. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you, Lord God, to imprint your written word upon our hearts, Lord God. Make it alive in us. Make it live in us. May it convict us. May it empower us. Lord God, may it change us. Lord God, in a time you're looking for that, that man and woman tonight who will stand in the gap and intercede with a passion, Lord God, for the lost. And you're looking, Lord God, for a man or woman tonight who will be different. Break away from the crowd and step into that exceptional life that you've called them to. I pray, Lord God, there will be many who would take advantage of this tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Frank. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word. As we close the song here, before we go into that time of prayer, the altars are open for you. If you'd like to come up. Comfort and rest in the arms of our Father.
Father God, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for holding us close, Lord, in your precious arms, God. We just ask that you'd help us remember and share what we've learned tonight, how precious your truths are. And continue to resound in our hearts and minds. Come from our mouths, Lord, and through the very working of our hands, God. May you be honored in all these things that we do and say. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.